Well, we're going to turn to Psalm 91 now uh, to look at it. I saw a post on Facebook a couple of weeks ago that said Psalm 91, the antidote to the coronavirus. And Psalm 91, when you look at it, seems so relevant and pertinent. It speaks of the plague, the pestilence. It speaks of thousands dying. That's what we've seen globally. It speaks of fear that stalks. Uh, It speaks of an assurance that is there that is beautiful and rich and that is available. My concern is that many might read Psalm 91 and find a peace and an assurance that isn't quite theirs. And they have it under false pretenses. And so I thought it would be useful for us to look at Psalm 91 and to see how it does apply so that we can enjoy its riches ourselves and share them with others. It would be like having a bottle of pills or a bottle of medicine and that is the the antidote to an illness or a disease but it's sitting on the shelf and we read the instructions daily and we look at its descriptions and we know it can solve the problem but we haven't actually unscrewed the lid and taken what's in the bottle for ourselves and that's the great danger with only reading Psalm 91. Another Facebook post said all you have to do is believe Psalm 91 and that is true and so I want us to grasp what it is to believe Psalm 91. I want us to appreciate the riches that are there especially in these days for We do live in a time of vast uncertainty, and uncertainty breeds apprehension and breeds fear. Commentators have said this is a a once-in-a-lifetime health crisis. Uh, When I wrote my notes, 120 people had been diagnosed with the coronavirus uh, on the island. I wrote that yesterday morning, and by yesterday evening there were another 39 diagnosed. Uh, So, it may take months may take a long time and we have legitimate concerns for ourselves and for our loved ones. But God has something to say. And what we have here in Psalm 91, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the Baptist preacher at the end of the 1800s, described in this way. He said, in the whole collection, meaning the whole book of Psalms, there is not a more cheering psalm. Faith is at its best and speaks nobly. And Spurgeon himself had personal experience of the encouragement that Psalm 91 brings. He he lived through a cholera epidemic that struck London. And ministering amongst the sick and the dying, he found himself worn down and wearied by the burdens of care. And he was at a low ebb one day, and he was walking past a cobbler's shop, a shoemaker's shop, and he saw in the window verses from Psalm 91. And it lifted his spirits and his his heart, and he was cheered. And out of that he wrote this. uh, There is not a more cheering psalm. Faith is at its best and speaks nobly. And really what our world needs from us, if we're trusting in Christ, is to see faith at its best and to see it speaking nobly to people. And there's three things I want us to see this morning. First of all, the place for the believer. 
the place for the believer. There's a magnificent description in these opening verses. The psalmist is about to speak of a world that is struck by plague, where there's threat of war, where there are unknown terrors that stalk in the night, and where thousands and ten thousands fall. That's out there. But this man has an in here, an inner space, or a place. And we, we sometimes talk about, sometimes people talk about their happy place. Well, this man talks about my secret place. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. And that little phrase means the secret place. The secret place of the Most High. And for some people, their happy place is little more than a, than a mental getaway or hideaway. But for this man, it is something more profound. Look what he says. He says his secret place or his shelter, his place of concealment is the Most High. It's the shadow of the Almighty. It's the Lord of the covenant. The Lord, you see it in our Bibles there in capital letters in verse 2. It's the covenant making, the promise making, promise keeping faithful God. He's a refuge. He's a fortress. He's my God, he says. He piles up titles and descriptions of his place that he has for safety. His in here that separates him from all that's going on out there is so close to God that God's shadow falls on him. You know, maybe we don't appreciate that as much as uh, the Middle Eastern person would or the uh, African person would living with the scorching heat of the high midday sun and looking for a place of shadow and shade to, to be protected from those scorching rays. Well, this man says, God is that to me. I am so close to him that he shelters me, that he hides me. So close, he takes it a step further, that God is my refuge. My fortress, a fortress and a refuge are only good if you're inside them. So here is this man, he says, I am inside God himself. I am wrapped up by God. To get at him, you had to bypass God. You had to get at almighty God. What a place. What a lovely description of God. What a lovely description of the believer. The one who dwells. One writer translates it, settles down. The one who settles down. The one who's at home in the shelter of the Most High. The one who abides, who rests in the shadow of the Almighty. We're always looking for a safe place. We long for safe places. And this man has found it. His sense of peace, you can sense it as you read these words. But the key question is, how does he have it? And as we read verses 1 and 2, we find that here's a statement of personal experience. He says, my God, my refuge, my fortress. He has it. It's personal. 
And then he says, my God in whom I trust. And there's the key. Here's the key. It's personal and it's by faith. It's personal and it's by faith. This place of safety and security. But how? How is he up close? How does he have this place of security? How does it come about? And as we read these words, rather than just thinking of them in a generic way that he's saying, well, yes, I've got this shadow of the Almighty that I live in. I've got this secret place of the Most High. We should ask, what was that? What was that to the Jewish believer, to the Israelite reader of these words? Where was the secret place? Where was the shadow of the Almighty? Where was the very presence of God? It was in the Holy of Holies. It was in that inner room that no man could enter except the high priest on one day of the year who went into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the great sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. This man is saying, I am right in the secret place. I am right in the very presence of God. Now, he's not actually there because only the high priest was allowed there and only for one moment. Nobody dwelt there. But this man grasps something significant because of the high priest's sacrifice. The blood that the high priest took in to that holy of holies. That that man himself, although he didn't get to go in, although he didn't get to see in, that man was brought under the care and keeping of the God who made promises and who didn't change. That man had that safety because of that sacrifice. Because of the sacrifice offered there, this man grasps that by faith he is brought so close that it is as if this was his tent. It's bold and it's believing faith. But look at verse 9 and you'll see it. It's better translated, You have made the Most High your dwelling. He says, this, this is my dwelling. This is where I live. Sacrifice was the only way in. And this man has come into God's presence in, in his mind and by faith, by the sacrifice that the priest offered. And it's, it's the same for us. Psalm 91 is not a blank check assurance of protection for whoever will read it or recite it. It's a statement True of those who by faith in the blood of the sacrifice live in the place of forgiveness. It's true for those who by faith in the blood of the sacrifice of atonement live in the place of closeness to God that forgiveness brings. And for us, what is that? As we live on this side of the cross, it's not the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement repeated year after year. It's not the other sacrifices of burnt offerings and guilt offerings and sin offerings. It's the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has opened up the way into the secret place, into the very shadow of the the presence of God. In Hebrews 10 we read, Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Do you see? We have access because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of his blood, right into this very dwelling place of God himself. In Ephesians 2, we're told that although our bodies are here, those who have put their trust in Jesus are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2. In Colossians 3, we're told that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that magnificent? Your life, if you've put your trust in Jesus, is hidden in Christ in God. You're joined to him. Paul keeps talking when he writes about being in Christ. This is his description of the Christian. Here is our safety and security. We are in him. Jesus said, if anyone abides in me and I in you, we abide in him. We're in him. We're in the secret place because of Christ. And the key to the safety of all of Psalm 91 is to be in Christ. Now let me, at this point, before we press on, make two applications. Let me make an application. If you're reading this psalm as an antidote to fear, but you're not trusting in the one that this psalm points us to, then all we're doing is reading the instructions on the outside of the medicine bottle. But the invitation is there in this psalm to come, to come into, to come into the secret place, to come to the Savior, and to put our trust in Him, as the psalmist says, My God, in whom I trust. Come to Him. Come to the one who is the refuge. Don't just read about the refuge. Come to the one who is in the refuge and say to Christ, Can I come in? Will you be my Savior and my rescuer? There is, as it were, a blank check of all of God's care and provision. That's no good having this blank check. We need to put our name on it. And we need to do that here. Uh, An old preacher, a man called Alexander McLaren, we'll quote him a few times this morning. He said, He who quietly enters into communion with God thereby passes into his protection. Quietly enters into communion with saving relationship with God, passes into his protection. That's for you. If you haven't yet come to Christ, here is the encouragement to come. And then you'll find the antidote to fear. Not merely in reading Psalm 91, but being in the secret place yourself. Secondly, a second application to the Christian to the person who is trusting in God as their refuge and their fortress. But are we dwelling there? Are we dwelling there? It's, it's easy, I suppose, to think of, yes, our, our soul is seated in the heavenly realms in Christ, but our body is here in this coronavirus-infested world. But where's our mind? Where's our thoughts? 
Is it out there? Or is it in here? Is it rooted? Is it dwelling in who this God is? How mighty he is? How close he is? How caring he is? How faithful he is? Where's our mind dwelling in these days? Our mind is where is, is the bridge that crosses between the, the in here place where our soul is safe and in Christ and the out there world where our, our lives are lived. But where is our mind? Faith has to be active. My God in whom I trust. The place of the believer. The place for the believer rather. Secondly, secondly, the protection of the believer, verses 3 to 13. The protection of the believer. There's a change in these verses. The, the one who has proclaimed his trust is now publicizing the care and the protection of his God. And he fleshes out the rich care of God for his people. And there's lots of words that we could use here. I'm going to pick four. I'm going to say it's certain. You see how often it says he will? He will. Verse 4. He will. Uh, verse 5. You will not uh, fear the terror of night. Uh, verse 11. He will command. Verse 12. They will lift. Verse 13. You will tread. You will trample. There's a certainty about this. Yes, we're going to have questions, but grasp the certainty. That this man has the care of God. Secondly, there's it's comprehensive. Look at the list. There's hidden snares that come on you quickly and trap you. There are plagues that are surround you that are open and you can see. There are terrors that are coming in the night. There are arrows that fly by day. Uh, In verse ten, we're told about harm and disaster. Verse eleven. In all your ways, uh, you'll not catch your foot against a stone. It's, it's the ordinary comings and goings of life. And there's everything. Verse 10 and 11, no harm, no disaster. All your ways, it's comprehensive, this care. From hidden and unhidden danger. From malicious and accidental danger. From stuff in the day and stuff in the night. Here is the comprehensive care of God. And see as well that it's close. Verse 4. Oh, what lovely imagery verse 4 is. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Could be an eagle, could be a farmyard hen. Could be that farmyard hen gathering the little chicks under its wings to protect them from any predator. Alexander McLaren says this, It would be a bold hand that would drag the fledglings from that warm hiding place and dare the terrors of that beak and claws. That it, you know, imagine the bold hand that's going in to, to grab a little chick from under mother hen's wings and daring the terror of that beak and those claws. Well, the Christian is in that place. It's a bold hand that would dare reach in under God's wings and dare the terrors of his fury. There's how close. There's how close. There's a closeness 
there's a warmth. Saw a photograph on Facebook uh, some months ago uh, of a, a little puppy that had got stuck out in the cold. And this, I think it was a goose, had its big wings around it to keep it warm. So close, so tender. That's the imagery here. God's protection is close. And a fourth point, given our study that we've been having of angels in Scripture. Do you see what it says? It's, it's celestial. God's protection. He will command his angels concerning you. The armies of heaven. We don't see it often. Scripture doesn't put a major focus on it. But over and over again, here and there, we're told about the legions of angels. Our world likes to think about people having a guardian angel. Well, God is not so miserly. It's armies. Standing guard over his people. Here is the believer's protection. But of course, all of this raises a question. Does this man oversell it? Do Christians not get diseases? Do Christians not have calamity to face? Do Christians not get involved in car accidents? Will Christians not get this COVID-19? Does he oversell God's protection? Let's say several things before we unpack it a bit further and and come to an answer. Remember that in the Old Testament, God uses physical blessing to illustrate spiritual blessing in the New Testament. So he takes them to a promised land to show them and to illustrate to us what heaven's going to be like. He provides manna along the way. He provides water from the rock along the way. That's not proof that God will provide us bread from heaven and birds blown in from the sea and quail to feed us or water from a rock for us. But it's proof that God will provide for us every step along the way of our journey from the slavery of sin to our place in the promised land of heaven. God uses the physical As an illustration of the spiritual. But also in the Old Testament, God promised to physically guard his people from plague and illness and enemies as they obeyed him. He said plagues and enemies would come if they disobeyed him. And this man is saying, I am walking in your ways. And when I'm walking in your ways, I can live with confidence that you will keep your promises and evil will not befall me because I'm walking in your ways. He has that confidence. And we see the outworking of it, as I've mentioned earlier, when we're singing it, in the plagues of Egypt. How God brought disaster and plague on the Egyptians and the children of Israel, as they trusted They saw these things happening to those around them, but not to them. So God has a track record of showing that these things that are pictures and illustrations for us of spiritual realities, he has a track record of keeping his word. So what do we do with it? We can't just make a straight transfer any more than we can make a straight transfer that God is going to provide manna from heaven and water from the rock. What do we do with it? Some want to literalize it and say 
that we will be free from every pestilence, every sickness, every disease, and the person who has enough faith will never have any illness. That's manifestly untrue. Uh, We see that from Scripture, that that is not how uh, God promises. The the immunity is not promised. We read in Romans 8 of trouble and hardship and nakedness and danger and sword. Uh, And Paul says, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is our lot in life. Trouble comes to us. James says, is any of you sick? You should send for the elders. He's acknowledging that sickness comes. Some want to spiritualize it and make it only true about our spiritual dangers. Satan can't get at us and Satan can't take away our salvation and temptation won't triumph over us. Those things are true. But that's not all that's in view here, I believe. Because we read that God is not disinterested in our bodies and in our circumstances. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells the disciples they're not to worry about what they eat, what they drink, what they wear. Your heavenly Father knows what you need these things. Seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be given to you. God is concerned about the practicalities and realities of living in this broken world. So for not to literalize it, and we're not to spiritualize it, what does it mean and how does it apply? Well, there is a way to deeply grasp it. It's deeper in its significance. It's the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8. We're not exempt from trials, but we are not victims of them either. And there are two aspects to the protection. There is a spiritual aspect. Nothing can touch the core of the life that we have in Christ that is wrapped up, that is sealed up, and nothing can rip you free from the glue of salvation that joins you to Christ. Nothing can do that. You are safe. You are safe eternally. Nothing can rip you free from the glue of God's love in Christ Jesus. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that nothing can come to you except it is for your good. No trial, no difficulty, no coronavirus, no sickness comes to the Christian unless God, with his wings around you, says, I will allow this in a particular way for your good. It will be for your development and for your growth and for your sanctification and for your witness and for all sorts of things. Again, Alexander McLaren says, The poison is all wiped off the arrow by that divine protection. It's as if the evil in the evil is taken away. Do you see? And the Christian has that confidence. And this is how we're to live in this world. That whatever happens to us only happened because our God and Father in his kindly care has permitted it to happen. As we've quoted before the line of the hymn, he's too wise to be mistaken and too good to be unkind. And this is the depth of his care. 
for us, the depth of the protection. It's not a superficial, oh, nothing will ever happen to you. But it means that in everything that does happen, all of the evil of it has been removed. And if we, and this is what we have got to take by faith. This is where we have got to take it by faith and grasp that this is for our good. So, will Christians get the coronavirus? Most likely, yes. Will it happen at a random venture? Certainly not. Their Father in heaven is in control and will only permit it if it is for their good and his glory. That gives us a confidence because he will provide all the resources we need. It gives us a confidence. But let me just note in passing as we finish this point and move quickly on, is that that doesn't allow us to be sort of bullshy and brave and to just wander carelessly into uh, the intensive care unit and say, here I am and I need no masks or no suit because God is my protection. That would be to take this psalm and do what Satan did with it. Throw yourself off the temple, Jesus. God will take care of you. He's got it all sorted. He'd command his angels concerning you. That you'll not bear or you'll not harm your foot against a stone. And Jesus' reply was, Do you remember it? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we can have confidence without presumptuousness. Nothing can happen, but it's for our good. That doesn't mean that we live with recklessness. Martin Luther, living at a time of the the black uh, plague or the black death, said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate to help purify the air. I shall administer medicine and I shall take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. And then he speaks, he says, If any neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. There's confidence, but wisdom. And that's what should mark us. Not fear and terror, not foolhardiness, but confidence in God's provision and love for our neighbor. And then lastly, and we can only mention this briefly, but it's something to take away and to think about. Thirdly, there are the promises to believers. We have the place for believers. What a place it is. The protection of believers. Wow, what protection. But really superseding and outstripping in wonder. Those first 13 verses are the last three verses. The promises to believers. The promises to believers. The bold and daring statements of verse 1 and 2 that I dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, that I am in the secret place of the Most High. That bold and daring statement of faith, is it just bravado? No. Astonishingly, in verse 14, God speaks. God speaks. Wow. Do you see that? The NIV actually helpfully puts in, says the Lord. It's not on the Hebrew. Hebrew just is God bursting in. 
Because he loves me, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. You get the sense of delight. How God delights in being trusted. How God delights in being believed in. How God delights in faith being put in him in the day of trouble. God delights in it. Again, this man Alexander McLaren says, and I just read this this morning. Um, He's preached a number of sermons on this, as well as writing a commentary. And he says, as if, notice, notice, God doesn't speak to the man. He speaks of the man or the woman who is this faith. He doesn't say, I will rescue you. He doesn't say, I will protect you. He speaks about him. And McLaren says this, As if God spake to the whole universe about what he wants to do for his friend. That's what you have in the three verses. God saying to the universe, to all and sundry, this is what I will do for my friend. My friend who trusts me. I will do this. And then there are eight ringing statements. I will. I will. I will. I will rescue him. I will protect him. He will call on me and I will answer. I will answer. McLaren is this lovely imagery of uh, a you or a you in a field. And the, the lamb is on the other side of the fence. And the lamb is bleeding. Is it conceivable that the mother will be silent. She'll answer the lamb on the other side of the fence with her cries and her bleats. And so, McLaren says, it is with God and his child. There we are in trouble. And we're crying out to God. God says, I will answer. I will answer. You can be sure of this. And then he says, I will be with him. We may feel feel the solitude of, of, is God hearing me? God speaks into him and says, I will hear. We may feel the the pressure of being in trouble. God says, I will be with you in the trouble. And then he says, I will lift you out of it. And then he says, I will satisfy you. The The Hebrew here is with length of days. With length of days. And then he says, I will show you. I will show him my salvation. Somebody translates it, I will cause his eyes to feast on my salvation. I will cause her eyes to feast on my salvation. I have got everything covered for them. All that can only happen to my people is for their good. I will hear them, answer them. I will be with them. I will bring them through it all and they will see the richness of my salvation. This is God speaking about you. One last word from Alexander McLaren. The promises go very deep and stretch very far. Is that it? They go very deep and stretch very far. Here are the promises to believers that are here. So go and read these promises. And go back a few verses. For the one who says them to you is the one who opened up the way for you to come into the most holy place. These verses come to us from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, so to speak. He's the one who at great cost trampled on the serpent, who took on that roaring lion, Satan, so that Satan was defeated. He's the one who's the shield that the arrows of judgment stuck into. 
He's the one who has defanged every evil and wiped off every poison so that everything that comes to you is for your good. And here he says to you, because he, because she loves me, I will be with them. I will answer. And oh, the confidence that should give us to face tomorrow. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's why Paul has such confidence as he even faces going to Rome where he's going to be beheaded. Confidence in God's care. Confidence in God's love. So, set your love on him. Dwell with him. Trust his care. Knowing that when you call out, he will answer and he will be with you. And as we believe Psalm 91 and in the God of Psalm 91, people will see faith at its best and it will speak nobly to them of the Saviour that they can have who will protect them from all harm. Amen. If you're able, let's stand as we come to God in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, to hear your voice speak to us not simply on the page of Scripture, but out of the page of Scripture, and to hear you say to us, because he or she set his love on me, from danger I will set them free. I will protect them. I will rescue them. I will be with them. I will deliver them. Lord, we thank you for these assuring promises. We thank you that nothing can Rip us free from the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that even in this world, nothing can get to us without bypassing you, being the poison being removed, and the, the injury that it would cause to us being averted, so that it is only going to do good in us. Lord, sometimes that's hard to hold on to. It's hard to grasp. But help us to grasp it because you've proved it to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've given us him, how will you not also along with him graciously give us all things and work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose? Father, give your people here confidence, we pray, and draw many people not just to read Psalm 91, but to believe in the God of Psalm 91. And to put their trust in that sacrifice that brings us into the holy place. We ask it for Jesus' glory. Amen.